You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 87, Law Enforcement, Building Trust with Community Partners to Work Together in Ending Human Trafficking. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, it's great to be back with you because today we have a really unique perspective uh, that I will let you introduce. And we have a special guest to help us to get that unique perspective. Well, Dave, you know, we're doing a really good job on awareness in ending human trafficking. So there's a rise in publicity, more education. Uh, So a lot of agencies, different organizations, lots of churches, and a lot of individuals are starting to get involved in anti-human trafficking efforts. And sometimes their relationship in the community with authorities hasn't been well developed and there isn't a real good understanding of roles. Um, Maybe they don't trust each other. So we've invited um, a law enforcement officer working in anti-human trafficking. We're going to keep the identity anonymous. And so we're going to welcome to our podcast today, Jane. And we've got some questions for you, Jane. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Glad to be here. Well, Jane, uh, you know, I know there are some common things that come up. And as we've talked on this show previously with other folks in the law enforcement community and the legal community, there are some things that, um, you know, are misperceptions and also some things that sometimes well-intended individuals do or don't do that actually hinder efforts in in all of our collective desire to end human trafficking. And so I'm, I'm curious, first of all, you know, as Sandy mentioned, a lot of folks, when they learn a little bit about this issue, really do want to get involved and establish a program or get involved with one. Uh, What would you tell people who are trying to establish a program or get involved with one? Um, I would start with telling someone to find their niche. Um, There are a lot of programs out there and there's a lot of different things that you can do to get involved. And um, there's so many different needs specifically associated with this issue but there's a, ri- a wide range of services um, or things to get involved with. Um, just a couple examples is, you know, if, if you're interested in legislation, you know, get with an organization that's working on um, rewriting legislation or adding in things that haven't been written before or as, as we become more familiar with the investigative um, techniques and, and the things that we have to do with law enforcement, you know, legislation is constantly changing. Perhaps it's training, training services or law enforcement or first responders. Um, there's a lot of wraparound services, medical needs, um, basic human needs, just clothing, housing, um, you know, counseling services, or even teaching basic life skills. There's so many different things that um, you can be involved in. Um, you don't have to be law enforcement or a first responder to be involved and to be helping in this area. So find your niche, know what you're you're good at and narrow your focus. Um, I think one thing that I just like to keep in mind is be a jack or don't be a jack of all trades and a master of none, you know, figure out what you're good at and stick with it. So 
that makes me think that the idea of trying to launch a all under one house anti-human trafficking um, program would require that you do that, be a jack of all trades. So the idea that you're talking about finding your niche, you might be doing something that's ending human trafficking, but it doesn't say that on your on your door or on your name badge. Exactly. Um, that's that's exactly it. And we have, I mean, as law enforcement, I, I deal with a lot of social services and nonprofits and and um, community members within churches and whatever that they they can address needs, um, but they're not a shelter. You know, they they can they can address the needs that I need as law enforcement because I I have a fine line that I have with with my clients. My victims come and I I have to be a certain person in their life. I can't be their counselor. I can't be, you know, the person that takes them to get the clothes. Like, I need community members to do that for me. So, they're, you know, people can be assisting law enforcement and assisting um, our victims and the things that they need, but it doesn't mean they have to be, like, a major player. Um, but there's still so many needs that need to be met that we need everybody to, to pitch in. Jane, what are some of the do's that a person should keep in mind, the things that for sure to do when they're getting involved in these efforts? Um, some of the things that I would say is um, do what you're good at. If you have certain certifications or degrees in a certain field, utilize those skills to be successful. You know, if you're a nurse or a doctor, um, offer medical services or, or partner with local hospitals to do training for first responders. Um, one example that I like to use is if you're great at finances then help develop a way to teach, you know, human trafficking victims how to open a bank account or budget money. Um, these victims are often living day to day, especially with sex trafficking, but they're earning money on a day to day basis. So teaching them how to budget money for a, a paycheck that only comes every two weeks. It's a very simple, um, but it's a necessary skill to teach. So if you're good at finances, like no finances and do what you can in that, in that area. Um, and then also another thing is know your limitations in your past history. One thing that uh, I actually come in contact a lot with people who are trying to help is um, they have a history of sexual abuse um, or they have a history of, of being uh, a trafficking survivor and they want to get involved because it's something that, that hits close to home for them. But don't place yourself in a role where you could be emotionally involved and you're not able to be objective for the victim. So that's one thing is know your limitations, know who you are and what you're capable of. What, what would be the implications of losing your objectivity when you're serving victims? Um, just a couple examples of what I've had in the past is um, a trafficking survivor wanting to assist and mentor other survivors. And instead of, helping that individual through the process, they're also working through their process. So they're not able to give um, correct mentorship or correct um, information because they're too emotionally involved. Um, they're not able to just see what's best for that person and where that person is currently in their journey in all of this. So they're not able to be an outside opinion. Mm, okay. It's interesting to me, Jane, how much you've in both things you've already said of the importance of getting to know ourselves and recognizing our own strengths. Cause I think that 
Sandy and I have both heard of a lot of people when when they hear about this issue, they want to you know start a shelter or something like that. And and there there's of course a real need for that, but that is just one need. And I love the example about financial skills because just about any whatever skill you have, there is something you could potentially offer to this effort in helping people to recover or to help in, in prevention before people even get into these situations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one issue that it's that I um, come in contact with a lot is just the transition from to a legitimate lifestyle. Is you know, there's I have a, a victim that was in a trafficking situation for eight years, and to try to get her into um, an apartment where she has to cook and clean every day, she's never had to do that. I haven't had to do that in eight years. She mm-hmm. doesn't know how to clean an apartment because there's always been a maid in a motel room that's going to do it for her. And she's moving on to the next motel room or she's, you know, going through um, the drive through to get the, the next meal. And she's not planning ahead to buy groceries for the next week. So there's so many different things like the transition period that the victims are going through. There's so many different just basic things that we don't we don't think about that really need to be addressed. So if you're good at any of that stuff, like we definitely need to utilize those skills. We- so. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sandy. Well, that that makes me feel like there's a place for everybody because um, I'm really good at cleaning. So I could teach I could teach some basic um, like Heloise Hints types household things. But I never thought about the fact that that would be a skill that I have that would be transferable to serving um, victims um, transitioning. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, one other thing, just um, a last part on this, is relearning uh, common societal rules. Um, it's especially with sex trafficking victims have no boundaries because they are in sexual situations with strangers all the time. So personal space and personal boundaries and um, basic like language and how you talk to people. Um, they often for they live by their own set of rules. Um, when somebody's trafficked whether it's a labor trafficking situation or sex trafficking, they're taught a new set of rules to abide by. So they're still living by a set of rules, but when you're trying to reintroduce them back into society um, without, you know, outside of the trafficking situation, they're having to relearn what's acceptable and what's not. And a lot of times I see my victims get very frustrated because they're invading people's personal spaces or they, stand too close or they, they want to touch you, but it's inappropriate to touch law enforcement. You know, like there's just basic, like even that's just a, a simple example, but it's a major, it's a major thing that I see is they don't even really know how to function back with just regular people. So that, that as well as I just want to point so it out. How could we help in that kind of, I mean, does that mean that to fight human trafficking to, or to serve victims of human trafficking, I should start hosting some, little dinner parties? I mean, it's, it seem it doesn't seem like it's a big thing, but it really is. Um, if, if you're, you know, working with, you know, if you're partnering with a shelter that has human trafficking victims, maybe, you know, coming over and having etiquette classes or, or, you know, balancing a checkbook or, you know, doing the things that, you know, what we think are regular things, but, have seemed to be forgotten when they've been taught like a new, a new way of life. So yeah, if you can partner with a shelter or an organization or um, if that's something that you're good at, then 
figuring out a way to contribute to maybe a task force in your local area or something like that would be good. That's like opening all kinds of new doors for ideas. And I hope that our listeners are are thinking how that applies to them. Yeah. You know, and Sandy, when we were talking to, when I knew we were going to be talking to a law enforcement officer on this episode, this is not the thing I would have expected we would have heard. But I, I think this is a great example of how sometimes we make assumptions on what people need. And yes, there are certain things that we classically think of that they need, like shelter and, and those types of things. Um but there's so much more that I think for a lot of us, I know for me, wouldn't even necessarily think of. But now that you've you've explained it, Jane, it 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 totally makes sense. Like it, it that that those things are real obstacles for people to reintegrate into society with. And so, boy, what a what an important lesson for all of us. And we we lots of times will ask the victim, "What do you need?" They're not going to say, "Well, I need to learn how to." Um, eat in a restaurant, yeah. um, how to talk to the waiter. They're not going to identify that kind of of uh, issue. So um, that's a really great insight. But I'm sure there also are some things that maybe we should avoid doing. Are there any don'ts, Jane? One thing I would say is don't create something that's already successful within the community. Um, if there's, figure out what's going on in your area. Um, if there's a task force, go to task force meetings and figure out what's already available. Um, if there's already a program that's been in place for 10 years and it's working really great, partner with that organization instead of creating something from scratch. You know, we always say work smarter, not harder. So if there's already something there in place, then, then partner with that, that organization or that shelter or, you know, that counseling service or whatever it is. Partner with what's there. Um, and also figure out identify what needs are in your community. So go to the task force and if there's, or, you know, whatever organization is out there where you live is, you know, figure out what's need. If there's a need that isn't being met, that you could probably meet that, figure that out. There's no point in having 20 shelters, but no counseling services or, you know, 10 counseling services and no shelters. So figure out what you actually need in your community. Um, I, I'm, I'm just jumping in there. I was I was in a, a meeting in another state and talking to some law enforcement, and they said, you know, it was really great. The first, uh, it was a church group that started putting together backpacks for victims. Um, he said, but now mm-hmm. all the other churches thought that was such a great idea, they copied it, and now they have like um, way too many backpacks. So... Um, <laughs> If you see a good idea, it doesn't mean that that's what's needed. It actually might, somebody else might have already done it. So how, yeah, that, what should we do? This is where, like, it'll probably bring me into the next point of not being a renegade. Um, Actually partnering with the the programs that are out there is, is, you know, identifying the needs that need to be met um, is very, very important. So, you know, especially with law enforcement, I, I deal with all these social services that um, if I have a need that comes up, I can reach out and see who's capable of, of meeting that need. And then if there's nobody there, I can identify and bring it to the task force that, I'm, that I sit in on and say, hey, look, this is something that's come up in my investigation. Who do we have or who do we know? Can you guys start reaching out? So not being a renegade and doing things on your own, um, that's going to keep the, the community together and helping us actually like be efficient and be successful um, in all the wraparound services that the victims need. Um, 
also just more on not being a renegade is there's people who are experts um, and they're well-trained in this issue. So utilize people's knowledge base. Um, go to trainings, take um, an experience of, of other people, and that's why being a part of the community that's already there, whether it's non the nonprofits and the shelters and the counseling services and all these these people that are already um, working within this this area, um, be familiar with them and know what they're doing. Don't just go off on your own and, and start something new because, you know, they may have done a trial by error and figured out what doesn't work. And then you're just spending your bills and wasting time and resources and potentially um, stunting the rehabilitation of a victim because, you know, you're doing something that doesn't work um, when other people have already figured that out. So um, this issue is very, very complex and there's no room for vanity in it. Um, this isn't about what we can do for other people and, you know, like not to build up our, ourselves, but it's, it's a real complex issue and people, re- these victims really need our help. So we can't, we can't let ourselves get in the way of that. Speaking of the complexity, I know that those of us who don't have a background in criminal justice or the law, I think sometimes there's, have misperceptions of how law enforcement um works and and the role that law enforcement plays. And so I'm curious, why should law enforcement be involved? And at what point does does law enforcement get involved? First, I'd like to say that historically, law enforcement has criminalized the wrong person within this issue. Um, Human trafficking and the awareness is still being trained within law enforcement. And the older generations of law enforcement who have viewed vice issues as, you know, we're, we're criminalizing the prostitute, we're not criminalizing the person that's forcing the prostitution acts and the, the pimp and the person who's collecting the money. So historically, law enforcement um, has had the wrong perception, and that's something that's changing, but it needs to continue to change. So I wouldn't, just as a disclaimer, like don't give up on law enforcement or think that every, you know, that we have foul intentions. You know, it is a learning experience for all of us and there. We do, law enforcement does need to catch up. I'll admit that. Um, so when should law enforcement get involved is we should always be involved and we should be involved in the very beginning. <clears throat> First off, you know, human trafficking is very dangerous. You know, you have cartels, gangs, um, pedophiles, people who are actually trafficking other individuals. It's, it's dangerous and law enforcement is specially trained to deal with protecting the victims and the witnesses and, you know, our social service providers. Um, so we're trained for this. This is our job. So we should be involved from the very beginning. Um, beyond that, evidence in the chain of custody, the clock starts when the victim is identified. So preserving evidence and building the case so that we can arrest a, a suspect can't be stalled. Um, the longer that a person is working with a victim outside of law enforcement, you know, we're losing text messages, we're losing Facebook messages, we're losing DNA, we're losing all of these things, but the clock starts. So the sooner that law enforcement is involved, um, the sooner that we can start preserving things. Um, And um, without law enforcement, traffickers, pimps, they're going to continue to victimize other people um, and other victims. So if we don't get involved soon and we start losing our evidence, they're just going to continue to go victimize other people. Um, so we want to stop that. We don't, you know, that's, that's our main goal as law enforcement. 
um, we're dealing with the problem and why, you know, we want to do prevention, and um, but we also want to stop the crime, and we we need our wraparound services to rehabilitate the victims. So we should really be involved from the very beginning. You highlight something um, I think we've heard from other law enforcement folks before, <clears throat> Sandy, and and I and we may have mentioned on the show, but if we have, it it certainly bears repeating is that, you know, a lots of times even if things are figured out. If, if law enforcement isn't involved, you know, a lot of that evidence and that, that due process that really the legal system needs is, is not admissible. And so it's, it's so important to involve law enforcement from the beginning. If there is something like mm. this going on. Yeah. Yeah. Just a critical, critical Absolutely. piece. Well, and um, one example, Oh, do you mind if I go right ahead? Go right uh, ahead. There, I saw um, this in July, there was a, a show on MSNBC it's called Sex Slaves Texas Rescue, and um, it's about this organization that they're kind of like renegading and going out and setting up dates online with uh, with prostitutes, and they're getting the prostitutes to come to um, a room to identify them if they're potentially human trafficking victims. But they're not working with law enforcement, and they're doing it by themselves. And one of the potential victims that they had <clears throat> on the show was a minor victim. She looked anywhere from 11 to 13. And they, because they didn't have law enforcement involved, the girl got, um, she basically got spooked and left the room and got in a room, got in the car with, you know, her pimp or whoever had brought her to the room and left. And they didn't contact law enforcement until after the fact. And because of that, you see that there's, you know, 11, 13 year old child getting back in the car with her pimp and leaving and there's no one there to stop them. And these people aren't capable of detaining anyone. They're not law enforcement. You know, they can't protect this girl. They just put her back in the situation they're trying to get her out of. So that's just one example that it's, it's not good to renegade and not have law enforcement involved. But they had enough foresight to have a camera there so that then they could produce this show. Mm-hmm. Hidden cameras in the room. They had their, like little fake security, you know, an ex-military or whatever guy with a gun, but he can't can't do anything. He's not law enforcement. Okay, so... So you just put a, a minor child back into the situation. I, that just makes me want to, I don't know what to do. Dave's oh. like looking, he's afraid I'm going to tear up the <laughs> studio or something. Well, I think, um, yeah. you know, and the, the cable... The cable um, show may not um, be the best example of what I'm going to say, Sandy, but... There are certainly a lot of people out there that we've heard of that are very well intentioned and really are trying to do something to help and not, you know, necessarily produce a show for people to watch, but really are their hearts are in the right place. But uh, to Jane's point, it just just are not educated on how this works. And I know one of the things we really focus on is studying the issues first, understanding this, and having a conversation like we're having today, so that if you are someone who feels called to do something about this issue as all of us do on this in this conversation that we do it in a way that that helps that doesn't yeah. actually harm even though we int- our intentions are good and i am always um i come back to uh, one of my favorite books sandy is difficult conversations and there's a there's a chapter or a, or a section of that book called um intention does not equal impact Mm. or intent does not equal impact. Your good intent does not mean that you impact the situation in a positive way. And I think that that's a perfect example. What she just mentioned is, you know, a good intention doesn't necessarily 
in some cases can make the situation worse if we're not really working in collaboration with the people who are, are experts in this area. So as a law enforcement officer, um, that kind of situation doesn't really make you feel um, trustful of the community. Exactly. It makes, it makes us doubt um, your ability to be objective. It makes us doubt if I should even refer my victim to your service. You know, if, if I don't trust my partner to be able to handle, you know, my victim, I'm going to go to another social service provider. I'm not, because you don't want to put, you're in I goal. need my victim to be healthy. Yeah. Cause your end goal is to put the bad guy away. So you need the chain of evidence. You need a victim who can be a witness, um, those kinds of things. And so you want to work with us, but not if we do crazy stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, with, with the, the investigation set aside, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have the perception, you know, law enforcement is all in it for the case. Um, that's, that's not it. We want our victims to be healthy. We want, we want them to be survivors. Um, and we want them to, to be rehabilitated. But at the same time, like as a law enforcement officer, I have a passion to stop crime. And, and so of course I want my investigation to go through and I, I want to, I want to put somebody in jail for the things that they've done to other people. But at the same time, like our victim is our number one priority and the investigation, we're going to walk through that entire process with our victim. And so um, allowing law enforcement to be open with you as, you know, some sort of provider, you're going to see what our intentions are. And if we're able to work with you closely with a victim, you know, the trust is going to be built. But if you're out doing things and I can't trust you, then I'm going to go somewhere else because I need my victim to be healthy and rehabilitated. Well, and I just can't get the image of an 11 to 13 year old um, out of my mind that wasn't rescued. And that's one example. And who knows how many people are out there doing this and they're not involved with law enforcement. So this is just one example of probably many. Well, um, you can be sure that I'm going to work with law enforcement and we're going to encourage um, our community, our listeners, and the uh, community education materials that we do uh, will always, always prioritize. And in fact, um, for listeners that are doing community outreach, in a previous episode, we talked with our Live to Free students. And one of the things they emphasize when they did community outreach, they had a really successful summer project where they went out to medical clinics that were walk-in clinics because healthcare professionals often see victims and don't know what to do. And um, mm-hmm. in that case, they called the police department for each city the week that they were going in. So the police would know ahead of time. The, I got so much feedback about how much local police departments appreciated that. And it also, when they got a call from a, um, a walk-in clinic, they responded immediately. And the first time that they did this, they victims were rescued, but it was because law enforcement was included before they even went out to do their community education. Absolutely. So, awesome. uh, uh, okay. So before we wind up here, do you have like one statement that you just is burning? You wish everybody knew and understood about human trafficking and how we can be part of ending it. One thing that I see very often is that, um, we want to get involved, but a lot of people want the glory for this. And 
um, like I said before in a previous statement, there's no room for vanity. There's no room for for wanting to be praised for your work in anti-human trafficking. Like this is it's a serious issue, and these victims they need people who are in it for the right reasons and are in it to actually help them and not because they want to get the next major grant from the federal government for their program. Like it's, it's very, very serious. And it's, um, so I just would say like, if this is something you're really passionate about it, get in it for the right reasons, do what you're good at and, and be somebody who's going to be successful and in it because, you know, you're being trained in it or you're working with the areas that need, that need assistance or you're, you're an expert in your field. Um, don't get in it because, you know, you want some sort of glory, which I actually see quite a bit. Okay. So we're going to get in it for the right reasons and we're going to do what we are good at. And we're so thankful, Jane, that you are good at your job and thankful for hearing your perspective uh, for our Ending Human Trafficking podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yes, Jane, thank you so much for your important work. And, you know, Sandy, this really does get to the heart of what we are about on this show, which is studying the issues so that we can be a voice and can make a difference. And I would really encourage um, those who are listening to, you know, reach out to us with comments and questions and let us know how we can further add to that conversation so that we can really be most effective in this show of helping us all to become more educated about this issue. And so the best way to do that uh, is, well, really two ways. You can email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or call us 714-966-6360. And to Jane's point too about all of us working together, you know, one way you can immediately help is to take a moment if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher to the show and write a review for the show. That helps more people to find it. And if you give us honest feedback on those directories, it'll help other people to find the show understand what it's about, and we'll get this message out to even more people, which is really what our goal is, is to be that resource for us all to become more informed about this. Sandy, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Take care.